If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I got to a point in my love life where I basically said it's diminishing returns like almost in a business model I'm putting in all this energy and I'm getting nothing back but if I put energy into my career which bearing in mind this was me straight out of uni and I had no clue what I wanted my career to be I'm actually getting returns, not just in like financial returns or any of those things, but in terms of my self-esteem, in terms of my self-worth, in terms of how I value myself. Whereas I was putting so much time and energy into these empty relationships, whether it was friendships or romantic relationships, and not getting anything back. And so that alone time almost forced me to elevate the standard of people I had in my life and I truly believe if you elevate the standard of people you have in your life you elevate the quality of your life hi I'm Francesca Spector and you're listening to alonement the podcast that broadens the conversation around alone time each episode I ask my guest about the time they spend by themselves and why it matters. At the heart of every episode is one central question. What turns solitude into a good or bad experience? Because when alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. Now, let me introduce you to this week's guest, Michelle Ellman. Michelle is the author of The Joy of Being Selfish, a book about learning to maintain boundaries in your life. This is a skill she's learned the hard way. In her work as a life coach and as the founder of a global body positivity campaign called Scarred Not Scared, Michelle has amassed 300,000 followers. Yet, despite her massive influence on the internet and her reach, A couple of years ago, she realised the one person she struggled to stand up for was herself. In this episode of Alonement, Michelle tells me how learning to make friends with the word no and to introduce selfishness into her life proved to be the missing piece of her self-love journey. During our conversation, she talks about how setting boundaries can transform your personal and professional life. 
allowing you to control how you spend your time and who you spend it with. We also discuss the impact of actively carving out solo time, which Michelle believes is vital for truly loving yourself. Have a listen. I really hope you gain something from this episode and that it inspires you to, like Michelle, introduce the right type of guilt-free selfishness into your life. podcast when I came across the joy of being selfish I thought you know what we just we just need to get in conversation we need to record a podcast episode I thought we'd have so much to say to each other but the first thing I want to ask you about on a completely unrelated note is the fact we're recording this London to Hong Kong how is that going (laughs) So I decide, I mean, this was not the year for travel, but my family live in Hong Kong and I've not seen them all year. So I decided that since I'm freelance, I might as well take advantage of it and continue working out here. But it means I have to do a two week quarantine and there are so many strict rules. Like uh, the journey to get here was extreme. Like you have to get a COVID test on Heathrow side and then a COVID test on Hong Kong side and you sit in the airport for 12 hours until you get the result. But then I arrived too late. So they send you to a government hotel to wait for your result. And you have to take your temperature twice a day. I have a tracker on my wrist at the moment, um, which connects to an app. And like the Department of Health called me yesterday simply to try to see my parents. So yeah, it's been a journey. Wow. So that's a 14 day quarantine situation that you're doing now. Exactly. And I'm on day four. And so far, I'm surviving it. I mean, 2020 was truly the year that I thought I was good at alone time. But 2020 took it to a new extreme, where like, I've not seen a single human for four days. And I'm not going to see another human for 10 more days. Because even in the hotel, you're not allowed to leave your room they don't even give you a pass to your hotel room because you don't need to leave your room (gasps) oh that's crazy and they bring your meals up and everything yeah but they ring your doorbell and you have to wait 10 seconds before you open the door so you I've literally not seen a human in four days oh my gosh (laughs) and you had to quarantine already because you had COVID didn't you you spoke about that yeah so that was back in March I um quarantined about two weeks before I lockdown even happened and it was it just came on so randomly I was celebrating my book deal actually so I got my book deal about two weeks before lock before I got coronavirus which was about two weeks before lockdown and I was celebrating with a friend it was the first time I'd seen my best friend and we were popping champagne that I got my second book deal and the joy of being selfish was actually a book now um it hadn't been written yet but I had done the whole proposal and got the book deal we were celebrating it she stayed over and then the following night I woke up at three in the morning and couldn't breathe so it was like going from one extreme high to one extreme low and by six o'clock that morning I was in hospital um but it was at the phase where they still didn't know a lot so even in the ambulance they were calling and being like well we don't actually know where to take you to and we don't know which entrance to go and the doctor might come into the ambulance or you might go into the back room and they didn't have enough tests at the time and then they didn't know 
they didn't have a secure area so they were like we probably think you're safer and you won't contaminate other people if you just go home but call us if anything gets worse and so even in the ambulance they were calling ahead trying to figure out which part of the hospital I should go into and trying to track down a test all those kind of things um and they kept saying to me it's not the fact we don't know how to do our jobs it's that our jobs are changing every 10 minutes and they were genuinely googling it trying to find the latest protocol on all of it so that was an experience um that's pretty nerve-wracking when the medical professionals are googling how to do their job but of course no one knew it was all fumbling in the dark wasn't it exactly and I mean I've had 15 so I have a very long complicated medical history which is probably why they sent me to hospital because I'm one of those complicated medical cases that put you at increased risk so I've had 15 surgeries but weirdly I have never been in an ambulance (laughs) ever before so I was like how is it possible I've had like a brain tumor a bunch of intestines like literally pretty much every organ on my body has been operated on but I've never been in an ambulance so I tick that off my to-do list (laughs) and I never want to go back and do that again God, because obviously, you know, your platform initially, it was around, you know, Scarred Not Scared, this amazing campaign to have more representation of people with scars. Yeah, so from those surgeries, the 15 surgeries left me with surgery scars that all over my body from the back of my head, half my head is bald, you can't really see it because it's the back of my head, but it's there and I like to call it my dolphin skin because it's a really like weird texture and then scars on my stomach scars on my ankles scars on my chest so it was the fact that I saw this body positive conversation growing but no one was including my body type which for a movement that said all bodies were beautiful I was like well I still don't see my body and I still don't see my issues being represented And anytime anyone talked about scars, it was always about like stretch marks or cellulite, but there was no actual conversation about surgery scars. So I posted a bikini picture and I joke that you don't realise how different your body is until you go viral for a simple bikini picture. But I mean, it had a caption which said people with scars can't wear bikinis, which is what I used to believe and the hashtag scar not scared. And that's how it all started. And who knew five years later, social media is the biggest part of my job probably just as big as the life coaching side simply because I'm almost like a social media life coach now but I would be known as I mean people know Scar Not Scared before they even know my name because that's my username online so a lot of the time I'll have like people bump into me in the street going oh my god are you Scar Not Scared and like I'll be with I mean the last moment was when I was with on a date I was on a first date (laughs) in a food market and I wanted to buy a brownie and the person over the counter was um someone who followed me and she was like oh my god are you scared not scared and I was like yeah and I'm also on a first date right now (laughs) um so funny that it's like people don't know my name as much as they know scared not scared which for someone who's biggest insecurity and biggest secret was their scars um it's quite a turn of events yeah there's such an irony to that isn't there it's really interesting because you removed the stigma around having scars and and now you're changing minds about the words selfish and what that means and how you know your book is called the joy of being selfish which for some people not understanding that selfish can be a good thing might think that's a bit of a paradox. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I wanted to start off by asking, why is it important to be selfish? Well, I think everyone can get on board with self-love and self-care. And those have definitely been buzzwords for the last few years. But then you say selfish and it's like, oh, wait, hold on. You've gone too far. And I just couldn't help thinking about the fact that But if you do self-love and self-care with the caveat of everyone else comes first and you are bottom of the list until you get everyone else's needs met, then you never have time for self-love or self-care. So it's actually uh, needing to reprioritize what is important to you. And the top of that list should be yourself. And that means being selfish because the definition of selfish is a prioritization of self but also at a disregard for others needs which sounds selfish but it's actually essential so for example if you want to stay in and have a quiet night because you're exhausted you have to disregard someone's need for wanting your presence at their party or wanting your company because they don't want to go to the event alone you are actually disregarding their needs so even by that definition, I don't see it as a negative thing. I see it as an essential thing. And especially 2020 has been the year that has shown that it is essential life skill in order to put yourself first, because otherwise you would have burnt out this year. And on the flip side, selfless is always the word that it's almost the best compliment you can give a person, especially a woman, is they're a selfless person. And what I realized is that very rarely comes out of wanting to be a good human being, but more so comes out of a place of insecurity that they don't feel they're good enough. And therefore they feel like if they do enough for the the people around them, then they'll keep them around and make them feel good enough simply by being almost a utility. And so a lot of that selflessness, when it's born out of insecurity, just feeds this self-fulfilling prophecy almost that you're not good enough unless you're an absolute resource to the people around you. But that means essentially like emptying yourself out for the service of others. And therefore you have no time and energy for yourself, but also your dreams, your goals, your aspirations. Yeah. And I think that that quite often might lead further down the line to perhaps resentment or you know because no one no one is completely selfless and I think there's a line in your book you describe self-love and I thought this definition was really interesting self-love as the statement I'm going to love myself and not make it anyone else's job that the second part of that sentence and not make it anyone else's job that really speaks to me because I think that people perhaps who don't give themselves enough self-love and don't show enough of that positive selfishness, often that sort of idea, oh, I always help other people out can really be quite damaging because the latter part of that can be, well, who's helping me out? Exactly. And I think when it comes to the resentment thing, resentment is probably the greatest sign that your boundary is being crossed. And an example I use in the book is the stereotypical parent who empties the dishwasher every day and then out of nowhere blows up and goes, I empty the dishwasher every day and no one ever helps me. But they never turned around and said, hey, can you help me unload the dishwasher? They just did it in an almost self-sacrificing martyr way 
in a way that no one asked them to empty the dishwasher. And of course, as a parent, it's probably your duty to look after, not probably, but it is your duty to look after the home. But who said you had to do that completely alone? You could have asked for help, but you didn't because of this selfless desire to be a utility to everyone. But every human has their limits. Mm. And if you don't show that love for yourself to start with, you know, that you deserve to ask for help, then you do sort of, you make it someone else's job to preempt those needs, I suppose. Exactly. And I mean, look at any rom-com or romantic movie. The societal message is that whatever you're lacking, your romantic partner will make up for or compensate for. So let's say you don't feel lovable, get into a relationship, you'll suddenly feel lovable. That's what we're told in these movies. Or let's say you don't feel beautiful, fall in love, your boyfriend will convince you you're beautiful. That's not that's why in that um, quote about self-love that you read out, I say it's making it your job because it is your job. It's your job to believe in yourself. It's your job to know how beautiful you are. It's your job to know how lovable you are. And when you make it someone else's responsibility, yes, there's that great honeymoon period where you'll get a relief from, let's say it's the thing about not feeling pretty enough and then you get a boyfriend. You'll have a brief period where you'll get that relief from it. But what happens the day that person breaks up with you? Then you're back to square one because you've used an external source that's not reliable. Isn't it so much more sustainable if you got that belief from internally and from your own work on yourself and actually believing that for yourself so you didn't rely on someone else's opinion to be a wavering source of self-esteem. I think that's the thing. It, as you say, it, it is your job because we are, and this, you know, this comes into the idea of being alone. We are all alone in our own bodies. We are all most able to anticipate our own needs because, you know, to take it down to basic sensations. We know when we're feeling a bit too hot or a bit flustered, we can anticipate them. And this expectation that someone else will meet those needs first and that it's almost a fallback option to give yourself love is so wrong it really is the wrong way around I think well I think it's also the other flip side of it is you hear this narrative a lot of if someone loved me enough they would know what I need we hear that all the time where it's like well if you loved me you would know I I needed a conversation or I needed a hug and it's based on the fact that humans are predictable, which we aren't. We're not robots. And so one time you might need a hug from someone, one time you might need a conversation, but essentially all of it can be solved by communicating. And rather than testing your relationships and wanting someone to fulfill your needs without having to communicate them, what is the harm in actually asking for it? Well, the harm is that most people don't want to feel vulnerable. Most people don't want to put themselves out there because it means that they get rejected. If you said to someone, I really need... Um, you to listen to me right now and they carried on doing what they were doing and didn't listen to you that would feel like rejection so what's better than that oh well we can just assume they know what we need and pretend like we've asked about asked for it but instead go well if they loved me enough they would know what I need anyway and they're not giving it to me so they clearly don't love me and you've confirmed this belief that you already hold inside of you and that's the easier thing than being vulnerable and asking for it yeah absolutely the other thing you talk about in the book is with boundaries, you don't know what your boundaries are until you've almost developed that level of self-knowledge, right? Yes, it's all about self-awareness. And it, back to the thing of saying, 
resentment is the greatest sign your boundaries have been crossed okay but what happens if you don't know what it feels like to feel resentment in your body if you don't know the difference between anger and sadness and you can't feel that which a lot of people can't and for the people who understand their feelings and have always had access to their feelings that will sound really confusing like how can you not know what you feel a lot of codependent people don't know how they feel because they confuse their emotions with another person so in the same way that it's your job to know you're beautiful and know you're lovable it's also your job to take care of your emotions but when you're so busy taking care of other people's emotions usually because you're being so selfless that you want to relieve someone else's discomfort the line of whose emotions are whose gets really blurred and therefore it makes it harder to figure out what your own emotions are and solve them and process them. I want to come back to that idea of codependency because I think it's really key. But first I want to ask you, we've gone through a time where the idea of being alone is really different because, you know, I I heard what you said earlier when you said that this year has been too much alone time. You you thought you loved being alone. You thought you knew what it was to love being alone. And then you almost like overdosed on it. Firstly, what was your attitude towards being alone before all of this? And how does it feel now? Especially you're currently in the middle of a 14 day quarantine. So how has that yeah. attitude changed? Well, so I think my experience with being alone was it was almost like a five-year process of basically learning the difference between alone and lonely. And if you had asked me five years ago what alone meant, I would say that's the worst thing in the world and I would never want to be alone and who would want to be alone. And I was the person with 30 best friends, which again, sounds like a really great thing, but was actually an insecurity because what's the best solution to never being alone? Have 30 best friends who anytime you have any moment of loneliness, you pick up the phone and someone can fill that void for you. And so when I started on this journey of boundaries, I think it was also this realization that I didn't like myself very much because if you like yourself, you want to spend time with yourself. And the last thing I wanted to do was spend time with myself. So it was a really hard journey of setting boundaries. And as a result, losing a lot of people in my life, I lost a lot of friendships. I lost a lot of relationships. And as a result, having to get okay, being alone and enjoying my own time. And I don't believe you get to a point of self-love unless you spend time with yourself because spending time alone and actively doing so for a year two years meant I started realizing why people like spending time with me but I'd never had that alone time to realize wait I'm actually quite a fun person like even if it's just me myself and I in a room I can have fun now whereas five years ago I couldn't and so I went on this great journey of learning the difference between alone and lonely and realizing Actually, the times when I was most lonely was not when I was alone, but actually in a room full of people who didn't understand me. And it was also going through this journey of cutting people out of my life and ending relationships because they weren't respecting my boundaries that I realized that the worst scenario wasn't losing all these friendships, but was keeping all these friendships because these friendships were the reason why I was feeling so alone. So for the last maybe two years, I've not thought about being alone at all. And then 2020 hit and I was like, oh, I'm sorted. I'll be fine. Um, And I did have lockdown alone. So that was five months of being alone. And 
um, a lot of my friends moved out of London. So there was no one walking distance. So when I say I didn't see anyone for like five, five months, I didn't see a single friend. I mean, I saw people at the supermarket, but that was about it. And it definitely tested my upper limit of being okay alone. And weirdly, I was really fine about it. And I just kept thinking how grateful I was that I went through this process a few years ago so that this wasn't a shock to my system. But almost as a result, I feel like I only felt the effects of that extent of aloneness when the second lockdown was announced. And that's when it hit me. And I was like, why is it hitting me now? This is like nine months later. But I think it was the idea of doing that again. And I've been thinking about it the last few weeks and especially because now I'm in quarantine again. um, It's this idea of I'm not actually sure it's a loneliness that I'm kind of sick of. I think I'm I think it's a touch deprivation. I literally I can't remember the last time I've been hugged and because I'm single, because I don't live with anyone, because I live alone. There isn't anyone in my bubble or any of those things that I've hugged whereas like if you did have a partner this year you hugged your partner at least if you lived with your family at least you hugged your family and I've not had that so I think my my idea around aloneness has definitely shifted in 2020 but it did just keep coming back to the fact that I was grateful I went through this journey because my worst fear um was happened about two years before my worst fear was living alone and my housemate moved out to live with a boyfriend and she told me really last minute that I had no notice and then ended up living alone and I really freaked out about it and I can't explain why it worried me so much but for a year on to then be not only living alone but be five months alone in my apartment it was actually a really proud moment for myself like being like wow you've grown a lot in a year considering that was your worst fear and you handled that but then now was fully alone and the justification of being okay with living by myself was I have a really sociable job I go to events every day like I have meetings outside of my house every day I won't become a hermit I got really concerned with like I would become really insular and not leave the house well I did become really insular and didn't leave the house but that was because of a pandemic and uh yeah I was just kind of proud of myself for surviving it That is really interesting about it hitting you when you came to lockdown too, because I think there was almost that survival mode everyone was in. And then sort of coming back to it, it was like, oh, actually, you know, you had to confront a lot of feelings because I think so much was going on in the world where you thought, okay, it's bad, but people are dying. Terrible things are happening. Like, you know, businesses are folding. And and I think almost everyone was maybe over-comparing to the extent that it was difficult to deal with those emotions. And I think being alone for that stretch of time, I run a platform around being alone um, and I would never advocate that much alone time. It's not, it's not a kind of more is more philosophy. It's a in moderation and alonement is very much something that I talk about in terms of moderation. And I think that in your situation, definitely, I think that there was almost there was there was much too much alone time to be able to appreciate it still 
Oh, 100%. It was something I survived. It wasn't something that I benefited from. Like maybe the first month I benefited from it. But like by month five, it's like there are no benefits in this. This is about surviving it. Um, But I also agree with what you said. We all had our reactions at different times. And for me, I think I didn't have... I mean, honestly, lockdown for the first five months were pretty great for me. I was writing a book, a dream book that I've been wanting to get this book deal for ages that kept me busy. So a lot of people were suffering furlough and all of these issues with jobs. And whilst all my social media jobs disappeared, I still had the book. So that was something I could hold on to. I very much went into life coach mode. I was like, I'm going to help everyone give tools and talk about this stuff. And so everyone has, um, I was teaching things like um, how to self-soothe through self-touch. So if you're alone and you can't get a hug, what you can do instead. I kind of went into that mode. And then on top of that, I had um, the experience of going through a similar experience in Hong Kong when I was 10 years old when SARS happened. So we went through a similar, I don't think it's called a pandemic, but it's a similar thing where we all went into lockdown for three months and um, had to wear masks in school. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with bowl and branches organic cotton sheets in a recent customer survey 96 percent replied that bowl and branch sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee plus get 15 percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's united healthcare insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company united healthcare insurance plans offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more one of these plans may be right for you if you're say between jobs coming off your parents plan turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. People stopped and that kind of thing. So in March, I kept saying to people, like, we've been through this before. It's all going to be fine. We'll be out of here in three months. Just follow the rules. It'll all be fine. And then obviously it didn't last three months. And so... I think in the beginning phase, it was very much survival mode. And it was also, 
I was enjoying the break from reality. I was enjoying that I didn't need to go to these PR events, which is something I complained about all the time. I was enjoying the fact that I didn't need to put makeup on or get dressed or all these things. Um, And I was enjoying the fact that I could focus on this project that I was really excited about. Yeah. I think you said that you had 30 best friends, which I mean, wow. 30 best friends, that sounds like a loss of maintenance, but I also get what you mean in that, you know, it is a brilliant way to avoid any time alone whatsoever. Um, And you spoke about, in your book, you speak about codependency as well. You say that um, you were with your best friend at university so much that you'd turn up at the university bar alone and they'd be like, where is she? Um, yeah. So, yeah, which, which you know, which is so sweet. But also you said it's an example of codependency. So if you could explain a bit more about what codependency is and how that sort of features into that fear of being alone. Well, it's like that is kind of the example you just said about turning up at the bar Again, this is something that's actually praised by society. How many TV shows talks about having that one best friend that like, I mean, I watch Grey's Anatomy and they call it your person. So you'll ride or die the person who would bury the body if you kill someone kind of mentality. So we promote this heavily, almost romantic relationship, but with a platonic person. Yet it's not healthy. And one of the main ways I recognized that relationship was codependent was because I ended up living with that person for seven years was I wouldn't make plans unless I knew what she was doing that evening. So a lot of codependency is basically letting someone's emotions, someone's schedule, someone's life affect your own and not having much control over it so you basically act as if one person and it's an absence of boundaries so the boundary is the difference between you and me there's the separation between us as two as individuals and you lose that boundary when it comes to codependency because you act as one whole in the same way as you said when I turned up at the bar they asked me where she was we were basically seen as one person to the rest of uni the rest of our friendship group and in the same way that like if you said someone who if you said to someone who wasn't in the personal development field I have 30 best friends the response would probably be something like wow you must be such a good friend or you must be such a good person everyone wants to be friends with you but I hear something like that now and I go wow you're not okay being alone In the same way that person who jumps from relationship to relationship, it's the same insecurity. It's just a different method of avoiding that pain. Mm, Completely. Uh, So much there, because I think with both of those things, you know, yeah, oh, you have all those best friends or, oh, you're in a relationship, Um, you know, even if you were just in one a year ago and it's a different person, those things are seen as socially acceptable, you know, tick box it's rare that someone will see something socially acceptable like that and and interrogate it like you just did there and say, oh, you mustn't be very good at being alone. And yet I hear that, you know, I, I hear that because I also know what a fear of being alone is like. And I think I used to almost uh, avoid being alone with similar methodology so I well, think- I always find it's with these things like people are like, why are you so passionate about boundaries? And I was like, because there was a point in my life I had none. And so you go on this journey, it revolutionized your life. And then you're like, oh, I need to tell everyone about this. So I'm sure it was quite similar for you about being alone and how alonement started. Oh, God, yeah, totally. It's like, yeah, no, I was this needy puppy. Like, I, I'm, you know, I wasn't born this cold, hard bitch who likes to be by myself. You know, it's, <laughs> it really is, you know, coming from the extreme. 
in the book, you talk about the difference between cutting and uh, distancing from friends. Do you think that there is a loneliness when you it comes to setting boundaries? Yes. So I think uh, almost compulsory part of boundary setting is this cutting people out or distancing because what happens is people are accustomed to the old you and so when you start setting boundaries you are going to come up against some people who are not going to respect those boundaries and if you continue to let them walk over your boundaries you might as well not be setting the boundary in the first place so in the book I talk about I call it the selfish method. It's a seven step process on how to set boundaries. And the sixth step is to set the boundary. But the seventh step is to hold the boundary. And if you don't hold the boundary, it spells out selfish. So the bottom two are S and H. Um, and the if you don't hold the boundary, then you might as well have not set the boundary. So if someone is continually crossing your boundaries, that is a sign that that person doesn't have respect for you. And in order to build your self-esteem, you need to be surrounded in people who respect you and respect your boundaries. And so, especially because once you start learning boundaries, this will be happening all in all your relationships at the same time, because they're all meeting this new you and this boundary you, that there was a period in my life, I called it my mass, the mass exodus, because so many people left my life. I mean, I had 30 best friends. I had a lot of people to get rid of. So yeah. Um, and, but it was, it was lonely because these were people I loved. These were people who I thought loved me. And it's like, it's really hurtful to have the realization that, oh, you only love me as long as I'm broken. Oh, you only love me when I'm a mess. But now that I've sorted out my life, I'm a qualified life coach and a successful one. I'm not fun to be around unless you can fix me because what happens when you don't have self-esteem and when you don't have boundaries is you attract a lot of relationships where there's a savior dynamic or a savior complex where someone feels like they have to swoop in and save you all the time and that was the kind of friend I was in uni I was the mess I was the one who always had some drama going on in my life and someone and something was always going on where I was crying or yelling or all kinds of things. Um, And I would always go to my friends and be like, why do I have so many situations in my love life? And I would always hear this thing of you're too nice. And I couldn't understand what you're too nice means. And then I think in hindsight, I realized too nice means you have no boundaries. You don't vocalize when you're upset about something. You don't vocalize when someone has hurt your feelings you squash down your discomfort in order to appease everyone else but then what happens when you start saying things and once you actually start speaking your truth people aren't going to like that because they've got used to you being a certain way and in fairness to them I became a different person really quite quickly and it's within their right to decide that this is not the person they chose to be friends with they chose a different person to be their friend but it does become lonely simply because it's hurtful that someone who you it's almost like taking the blinders off you realize oh they were only there for me at my low points but when I'm actually now successful and I'm happy and I'm actually got self-esteem and I stand up for myself you don't want to stick around now but you're happy to stick around when I was boosting your self-esteem by being a mess every day. Um, And that is lonely. And especially when you're doing it in adulthood, 
there's or at least for me there was a constant worry of how do you make friends as an adult and if I did make friends new friends as an adult surely I come bottom of their list because who prioritizes new friends over old friends and this was the lie I was constantly telling myself to be like oh well maybe I should just stick it out with this friendship maybe it will change maybe she'll change maybe maybe she's just going through a rough patch and then I just realized that maybe one day she will but who's to say and like especially not because you're wanting her to change because she has no issue change she doesn't want to change she's happy with her life but it was in these moments where I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can keep losing people from my life. That I just reminded myself that with every loss came again, I was creating more space for new people in my life. And those people eventually came. And as I mentioned, when my um, dad got cancer, I was so grateful that I had these new friends in my life because they were the right friends to support me through something huge like that. Whereas I can't guarantee as much as I had 30 best friends, I can't guarantee a single one of them would have been there for me in the same way. Yeah. I think it's, it's funny. People say that about dating. They say, you know, you've got to be your best self until you can meet your person. Maybe you've got to be your best self until you can meet those true friends as well. And and not to say that longevity isn't incredibly important. It really is in friendships. But but also, you know, you have those friends that you make as an adult that are also very important, I suppose, that can meet you in that place. But also in a relationship, I don't think you can find a good partner unless you get rid of the fear of being alone because how many people are in a relationship because they're so scared of being single and my love life changed the moment I realized that being in a bad relationship was worse than being single which sounds like an obvious thing to say but to me at 20 I would have said I wanted a boyfriend for the sake of a boyfriend because I'd rather have a boyfriend even if he was a bad boyfriend than being alone because who wants to be alone and then I got into I mean, it wasn't a bad relationship, but it definitely wasn't a good one. And the moment I broke up with him, all I could feel was relief. And then I couldn't help thinking about the last six months and thinking about how much time and energy I put into a relationship that I knew from the beginning wasn't going to last. The day after I he asked me to be his girlfriend, I remember saying to my friends, oh, this will only be like six months and then it'll be over. I mean, why would you get into a relationship if that's what you're saying day one of your brand new relationship? Simply because I didn't want to be alone. And when once it was over, I was like, can you imagine if I'd taken those six months and actually put it into myself rather than a person who didn't appreciate when I gave him anything? And in the book, I use the example of he said, um, I, I didn't pick up his call one evening. And he said, oh, that's strange. You're usually at my beck and call. And so when it came to like sentences like, oh, you're too nice. That's why like your love life is a mess. It was things like that where I was like, it wasn't just I was at people's beck and call, but they knew it and they were taking advantage of it because if he he has the guts to say that to my face, he had no shame about the fact that he was taking advantage of like my good nature or my ability to be too nice. Um, but on the flip side of it, I wasn't setting boundaries. So if I had set boundaries, it would have never happened. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, it says a lot about why your book is so important, I think. Because, I, you know, I think that that experience is definitely not, it's definitely not a unique one. It's something that a lot of people have gone through. I, you know, it resonates a lot with me. I think we see those terms as nice and, you know, being, you know, being available when someone calls is a good thing. But of course, if, the, if it's not done in the framework of having boundaries, 
that I think this leads really nicely into one of my favorite quotes from the book, which is uh, when you say, you say prioritizing alone time is an essential building block of loving yourself because people who love themselves enjoy spending time with themselves. Do you think that learning to do that helped you get away from that fear of being alone because you saw how much you could gain from it? Yeah, so that was definitely the time when I enjoyed being single the most and my career grew at an exponential, almost ridiculous rate. And it was this almost year, maybe two years of me going, wow, this is what happens when you put all your time and energy into yourself and not wasting it on guys who you never knew, who you knew from the beginning were never going to last. But more so, I was using that time to build up my own self-esteem and it wasn't going towards this. I got to a point in my love life where I basically said, it's diminishing returns, like almost in a business model. I'm putting in all this energy and I'm getting nothing back. But if I put energy into my career, which bearing in mind, this was me straight out of uni and I had no clue what I wanted my career to be. I'm actually getting returns, not just in like financial returns or any of those things, but in terms of my self-esteem, in terms of my self-worth, in terms of how I value myself. Whereas I was putting so much time and energy into these empty relationships, whether it was friendships or romantic relationships, and not getting anything back. And so that alone time almost forced me to elevate the standard of people I had in my life. And I truly believe if you elevate the standard of people you have in your life, you elevate the quality of your life. And now that I date a higher quality of people and people who actually treat me with respect, I genuinely can't believe I settled for that for so long, but it took that alone time and it took forcing myself into that discomfort for me to realize the benefits of it. And I only realized it probably a year or two years later, but that's why I think self-growth and that's why I think growth and personal development takes a long time. And we always want like a quick little pill or something magic that like a light switch and it suddenly your life changes. But this was a five year journey for me because I mean, in the book, I say like the different contexts and it took me a while to go through every context in my life. And at first I found it easier to set boundaries in my career. And then I found it harder to set boundaries in my love life. And then that came next. And then my friendships came next. And to change your life in such a dramatic way, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens gradually. And it happens with one confronting one hard conversation after another and going through one difficult situation where you have doubts and you don't know whether you can vocalize those boundaries and you don't know how to articulate yourself and learning the language that you need to actually set that boundary and learning how to process all the emotions that come up in that alone time because that's the beauty of alone time as well is that I had so much time to feel my feelings and at first I absolutely hated it because I think that's essentially what we're all running away from when we're running away from alone time. We don't want to sit with the, what, what society calls negative emotions, but I don't believe any emotions are negative. I think all emotions tell you something and they're painful. And I think a lot of the time they're physical pain that if you're sad, usually you're sad in your heart or um, when you're experiencing grief, it's all over your body. And that's what we're running away from. And so 
almost in a way 2020 forced us all to pause and sit with those very very uncomfortable feelings yeah it's so true I um, often say that being okay with your own thoughts that's the entry ticket to alonement which is having positive time alone because of course you know you don't I don't spend all my alone time sitting and reflecting inwards that would suck to me because I also want to spend some of that alone time reading a book or eating pizza or something you know those things that I find joy in doing whether I'm with someone else or not Um, but I think that of course you're not going to make alone time a positive experience in any sense if you don't deal with um, you know if you don't spend alone time working out how to be alone with your thoughts how would you recommend doing that what's your best method of using alone time to get in touch with your own thoughts and conquer that fear of your own thoughts? For me, it's, I, I differentiate between thoughts and feelings. So sometimes your thoughts can be absolute nonsense and sometimes your brain lies to you. So I always bring it back to my body and how I'm feeling. So if you can find where your emotions lie in your body and physically sit with that and draw your attention to let's say you have a ball of tension in your stomach putting your focus on that and sticking with it and what happens is as soon as you put your attention on it it will get more painful and this is when most people run away from it because it's brought to their attention they go nope don't want to deal with that and they run away you have to sit with it and I promise if you sit with it for like at least a minute it will soften and it will eventually get looser. And that's what I talk about when I talk about processing your feelings. But you need to be alone to do that because, I mean, it'll be quite weird if you sit on a chair by yourself with your eyes closed and, like, kind of go into your body with other people in the room. And so it's things like that which you have to create time for. You Like, if you're a person who avoids alone time, you are never going to accidentally have alone time. And I say that as a person who hated alone time. You have to create time in your diary for it. You have to actually schedule it in as if you're scheduling in a date or as if you're scheduling in a dinner with a friend and actually designate Tuesday nights is my nights for myself. Or let's say your favorite TV show comes out on a Thursday, make it Thursday night, whatever it is, schedule it in. And it doesn't always have to be once a week. It can be once a month or whatever it is, but start making that a priority and do something special. Because what I found was a lot of people make their time with other people special, but they won't do that for themselves. So in the book, I give the example of when I watch TV alone, I watch it on my laptop. And when I watch it with friends, I plug my laptop into the TV, but I can never be bothered to walk over and find the wire and all these things. So I started doing that. Like, it's a small thing, but why do I make that effort for my friends, but I don't make that effort for myself? And it is more enjoyable because I'm not like propping the laptop off up on my lap while I'm trying to watch it. I'm actually watching it on a proper size TV. And so it's things like that, which you're treating yourself like you are of the same value as the people in your life. And that's important, even if it sounds like a subtle, minute thing. Yeah, well, it sounds subtle and minute, but it's everything. I think, and I think it really is a big self-esteem boost when you show yourself that you're worthy. I actually, uh, it's funny you say this because in my book, Alonement, I speak about this and I talk, I call it only me-ism. So you do an only me-ism when you say, oh, it's only me, so I'll have, toast for dinner rather than 
cooking myself a proper meal or I think you know the laptop tv is a really good example of that Uh, well I think also a great demonstration of that like a physical demonstration of it is how many people don't use their favorite skincare or don't use like their favorite candle because they're saving it what are you saving it for and I think it's a self-worth thing. I think you don't use your favorite candle. You don't use that luxury skincare that you spent hundreds of pounds on. And usually, a lot of the time, if you actually talk to those people, they leave it so long that it expires. And my mom was one of these people. And I went over to her house and I saw this candle that had been turning orange. And it was this massive Joe Malone, really expensive candle. And I was like, how old is that candle that it's like going orange and she was like oh a friend gave it to me but it's so expensive and I'm not going to burn it and I was like what so you don't deserve that candle like I mean you've all she didn't spend that money but like that money's already been spent that money was spent for you to enjoy it but we almost don't feel like we're worth it and so I I did a funny thing on my Instagram where I was just like use your favorite skincare (laughs) use all that like do it before it expires but also it shouldn't have to be because it expires that you're using it you should use it because there's a reason why you bought it and you bought it to enjoy it and you're worth it and yes it's expensive all those things but there's no point you putting it in your cupboard and never enjoying that yeah of course or thinking oh I'll burn it when guests come round or something like that yeah because the guest is worth it but you're not worth it if you're sitting at home alone yeah yeah and even that you know that's something as simple as laying the table I always make sure I do that now if I have dinner by myself which is you know if you're living alone during a pandemic quite often I actually don't set the table that's actually one thing which I'm (laughs) like oh my god I should be doing you're right I don't set the table when I eat dinner and I to be fair I don't often eat dinner at a table I usually do that (laughs) thing of eating dinner in front of the tv that is one thing that's going on my to-do list (laughs) well you know I love talking about this stuff with other people because I think you bounce off each other and I think you know anyone listening to this now will be like okay you know what I am plugging my laptop into my tv or I am setting the table or I am burning that candle and you know you inspire each other in your aloneness you say that you know I'm giving myself that you know, that self-worth to do that. Therefore you should do it. It, it becomes aspirational rather than, you know, people, you know, you often, cause you often see couples posting about the nice things they do together. What, what if we all spoke about the nice things that we do for ourselves too? So to finish off, what, what is your key alonement time? So at the moment I've fallen in love with paddleboarding and it's funny cause I love doing it alone, but, um, in the latest lockdown so I ended up not locking down alone in because the idea of it was just like no this is too much I can't be alone but ironically the people I locked down with thought it was really unsafe to let me go paddle boarding alone so they would genuinely like walk up come by the shore and like sit there while we paddle boarded so so that was actually it was so sweet and it was like really nice because it became like um basically in our bubble it became like a group activity where it'd be like oh we're going up to watch Michelle paddleboard and so like basically I was on this like random farm and so like the pig farmer would come up and the sheep farmer would come up and um it was a a a really nice experience and also just like the perfect opposite experience that I needed to the first lockdown but that's the thing I'm really enjoying at the moment and I really hope I'm able to do that while I'm in Hong Kong which I'm really looking forward to because I've not done it in the sea 
in ages in like years yeah um and that's such a uh, I love you know I love that's such a solo pursuit and I love it when people I think it's true alonement when people say look I have this individual curiosity and I'm going to pursue it. You know, it really, sometimes you don't necessarily have to be physically alone. If you have, (laughs) if you had all, you know, all those lovely people watching you and making sure from afar that you were okay, but you, you've chosen to do you. But funnily enough, the original plan was actually to go with all my friends for my birthday last year. And really randomly, the wind cancelled it, which the wind has never been that strong in the middle of summer in England but the one day I had decided for my birthday we were all going to go paddleboarding my friends all woke up at seven o'clock in the morning to go paddleboarding all of them absolutely dreading it and hating this idea because like I like thinking my birthday is the day I get to force everyone to do something that I enjoy and they all hate um and then it got cancelled so (laughs) They all weren't particularly happy with me. They did put on a brave face, but like waking up at seven in the morning to then not even go paddleboarding. So I was like, well, we're going to do it next year. And then the pandemic happened. And then I just got to a point where I was like, I've now waited for a year and a half to do something I really used to love doing and really want to do. And so that's why I was like, this year I'm going paddleboarding some way, somehow I'm going paddleboarding, even if I'm alone. And so that's how it ended up being that I actually love doing it alone because there's something about paddleboarding that gives you this like emptiness of mind where I stop thinking and it's just like such a beautiful break, especially from 2020, where I feel like all I've done this year is just think and to have your mind go absolutely quiet, because if you don't pay full attention to what you're doing, you will fall in. Like you have to be aware of your balance and things like that. So that's all I'm thinking about when I'm out there. And I think that's where that's almost the epitome of my favorite alone time. Oh, Michelle, thank you so much for your time. It's been so great chatting and and thank you so much. Oh, I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show. I really hope you enjoyed listening and that it's given you some valuable advice and inspiration for turning your alone time into alonement. If you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope you did, then I'd be so grateful if you could leave a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Resistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.